And we're back with episode 92 of Rogue Table Talks, RTT 92. Uh, It is cold here in the heartland. Uh, It's been, we've had high temperatures below freezing for like a week in a row. And it's going to be like this for like another week. So it's unusual for this part of the heartland to be, to never get above 32 degrees. That reminds you of your. Uh, yeah, it does. Reminds you of your, your Michigan. It does kind of remind me of the of, uh, snow on the ground. Um, yeah, it reminds me of. I'm not used to this cold. I mean, it's cold all the cold all the time. It's not used to it, right? <laughs> uh-huh, and then you're uh-huh. stuck in the heart of winter in South Carolina, the deep yeah, dark winter there, where the rain dark. drops are a little cooler in the winter. The rain's cooler. <laughs> Yesterday was unfortunately sunny and 62. So yeah, that was yeah, yeah. Was you had to put a put a put a light wrap on. It's winter. You know what's funny is there are people around here. They've you know they grew up here or they're climatized or whatever and and 55 60 is really cold to them yeah so they got on yeah. big coats and i'm in a t-shirt and this feels great <laughs> oh yes that's what we get used yeah. to it's what we what's what yeah. we acclimatize ourselves to uh yeah we're, we're going to talk about uh i guess a spiritual acclimatization if you will maybe um i wanted to start with the discussion of uh MTD, Moralistic Therapeutic Deism, uh, which is, I think, a ter- coined by Christian Smith. I think he's a Christian sociologist. Uh, and it's sort of um, how he describes uh, what, what Christ- the, the, the effective nature of a lot of Americans' Christian faith. You know, his, his point would be it's not even real Christianity. It's moralistic therapeutic deism, which is moralistic. I'll do good. I'll try to do my part. I'll try to be a good person. I'll do stuff, good stuff and not do bad stuff. Um, therapeutic, God will make me good. He'll get me what I need. He'll make me feel good. He'll give me peace. He'll give me hope. Uh, and then deism, God's there sort of in a distant transactional way. Uh, and that's the deal where he's kind of there. He gets me the stuff I need if I just do be a good person. And that's, you know, uh, so what do you think of that? I mean, is that an accurate description of a lot of, of Americans, Christians, uh, whether they're actual Christians or not, but, uh, yeah, I think so. I think, you know, formerly what people described, kind of a, a bulk of Christianity is nominal Christianity. Um, I think this is a more in-depth way of talking about that, where God is distant, but, you know, there's some thought of God, and God is there to make me feel better, so feel positive or feel good about life or me or things. And then, yeah, moralistic. Yeah, I, I do think that's an accurate way uh, makes me wonder kind of, okay, well, why, why is this maybe probably not, it's probably not a conscious subscription to it, right? Like if you tell right. me, no, yeah, no, right. this is nobody what would you need say to do. That, yeah. Right. Nobody would say that there are moralistic therapeutic ideas, right? Yeah. But, but why is it maybe a default for people? Um, you know, why is, yeah. is it the, I mean, is it something in religion that, yeah, like I want, 
yeah, I, it's probably it's an attempt to get everything that I want and nothing that I don't. Like I want there to be a god because it comfort the idea that there's a god, there's somebody in charge that comforts me. That you know God is good and that somehow good will win in the end or something. That's a comforting idea. So I want God to be there instead of being in this empty naked universe. Um, and, but I don't want him to. So I kind of I want a safe presence of God mm-hmm. and so mm-hmm. I'll do my part which obviously I've got I got to be a good person obviously uh, that's my part I'll try to be good and do good uh, in whatever ways I conceptualize that um, and then you know that'll uh, God's you know blessings from God is sort of you know I, that's expected so if I do my part he does his part that's the sort of safe transactional relationship that it appears that, and I think this is this can infect anyone's walk with, uh, with Christ. Anyone following God can fall into this. Yeah. I want him, but I don't want him too close. I don't want him too much in my business. Uh, and I'll do good stuff, but I kind of expect blessings. I expect not to get sick. I expect nobody in my family to get sick. I expect to get the promotion. Uh, I expect nothing bad to happen. That's the deal. And it's, I just think we live in a transactional cu- culture. We grew up in it. You know, we purchase services. And it's sort of like, you know, I want the waiter there, but not too close. You know, I, I will have this transactional. It's on there on my terms. And I think we want God, but on our terms. And I do think that's a, that's sort of universal in a sense that you know the idea that we're subject completely to the king of the universe and accountable completely is kind of uncomfortable so i'm going to soften that That, that's my take at least yeah i like the way you you know we want god but on our own terms and these would be to me our own terms by default of autonomous human beings that would really you know like for a power to serve their purposes and you know as you were talking I was thinking like what what's underlying several of these things and they probably don't fit perfectly but you know like when I think about why do people fall into the moralistic trap and I think probably there's something for certainty there like it's I can if I do these Mm -hmm. good things then I can guarantee these outcomes Mm -hmm. and know what the deal is yeah and then therapeutic is it's uh, it's comfort. I need to be comforted. I don't want to hear hard things. I don't want to do hard things. Um, and so then there's this something with the, the deism part of like, and, and yet there's some type of longing inside for um, a relationship to a creator. I don't know. I just feel like there's undercurrents of different um, conversations or maybe idols, so to speak, that are going on underneath this. If we can do this and get certain... You're really certain about our life and have comfort, uh, but yet maybe feel good about it because, well, look, I, I'm a good person. I believe in God. I don't know. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think that's, I do feel too that the church can reinforce some of these ideas, you know, unwittingly, yeah. right? That we sell, like, if you follow Jesus, it will be better. Absolutely. And or if you have Jesus, you should be able to overcome everything. You should, yeah, you'll be victorious and you'll be the overcomer, which ultimately is true. But it leaves, it, it does sort of reinforce this transactional notion that, you know, hey, I'm, 
I, I said yes to Jesus and things don't feel good. Things mm-hmm. aren't better. Like, what's the whole point? Like, this is the deal I thought I was getting. Uh, instead of the God who is there is the God who is there. And we must deal with him on, on his terms if we're going to deal with him at all. Now, it turns out he's gracious. He extends grace to us. He provides a way for us to know him. Yet he's still the awesome God of the universe. And, you know, both of those things are true. It's kind of like in the, you know, Lion, the Witch, in the Wardrobe, where Aslan is, you know, the children ask, is he he's a lion? Is he safe? And the beaver says, he's not, oh, well, no, he's not safe, but he's good. I mean, he's a lion. He's not safe, mm-hmm. but he's mm-hmm. good. And we want, we want, this is, you know, moralistic therapy it does, and we want safe. Mm-hmm. We want, this, you know, the protection, blessing, safety, uh, you know, like living in the city of a benevolent king. We don't really have to deal with directly. So, and I think the church can say, yeah, come, come follow Jesus. You'll have a good life. Um, and I think we're then free to imagine what, what that means when there's a sense in which that's true. Jesus says, I come that you might have life and have it to the full. But he, he describes what that life is in the, in the New Testament in particular. And some of it involves lots of hardship, right? So mm-hmm. uh, his terms, his terms are better than my terms if I'm just willing to trust him. Uh, so, yeah, I do. I do. Don't you think that the church... At being in culture often can reinforce unwittingly these cultural themes without thinking about them too closely. Well, yeah, hands down, I think that this is a good opportunity for all of us in any church leadership position or, you know, even if we're just in church membership to, you know, think hard about what are we really after? What are we really about? And do we just want to gather a crowd? Do we just want to gather mm-hmm. a lot of people? Uh, and the way you do that would be God's not going to ask anything of you that you don't want to hear. And it's going to yeah, work you're out gonna for be, you. You're fine. Have your best life yeah. now. Yeah. yeah. And, the, and the, the hard part about that is, like you said, it's often unwittingly because nobody would ever say that. But it's the undertone. It's the undertone of what's being communicated and maybe what's mm-hmm. not being said. Yeah. yeah. What's not being yeah. communicated. Yeah. Well, let me jump into uh, a passage uh, uh, from which this discussion uh, sprung, John 10. Coming towards the end of Jesus' uh, ministry in the book of John. It's like the whole second half of the book of John is about you know the Passion Week and, uh, and all that happens there. Uh, and so John 10, starting in verse 22, um, then came the festival of dedication at Jerusalem. It was winter, and Jesus was in the temple courts walking in Solomon's colonnade. The Jews who were there gathered around him, the Jews who were there gathered around him, saying, How long will you keep us in suspense? If you are the Messiah, tell us plainly. Jesus answered, I did tell you, but you do not believe. The works I do in my Father's name testify about me, but you do not believe because you're not my sheep. My sheep listen to my voice. I know them and they follow me. I give them eternal life and they shall never perish. No one will snatch them out of my hand. My Father who has given them to me is greater than all. No one can snatch them out of my Father's hand. I and the Father are one. Again, his Jewish opponents picked up stones to stone him. But Jesus said to them, I've shown you many good works from the Father. For which of these do you stone me? 
We are not stoning you for any good work, they replied, but for blasphemy, because you, a mere man, claim to be God. Jesus answered them, Is it not written in your law, I have said you are gods? If he called them gods to whom the word of God came, and scripture cannot be set aside, what about the one uh, whom the Father set apart as his very own and sent it into the world? Why then do you accuse me of blasphemy, because I said I am God's son? Do not believe me unless I do the works of my Father, but if I do them... Even though you do not believe me, believe the works, that you may know and understand that the Father is in me, and I in the Father. Again, they tried to seize him, but he escaped their grasp. Uh, okay, there's a whole lot going on here. Uh, mm-hmm. There's a whole lot going on. But they start out with, okay, all right, tell us. Tell us plainly. Are you the Messiah or what? Uh, and he's said, I've been telling you. I've been telling you. You just don't want to hear it. Um, and so there's this dynamic of, yeah, I'm the Messiah. I'm God's son. It's just not the Messiah you're looking for. It's not the deal you thought you made. You know, you wanted the Messiah on your terms. You thought you knew what that meant. But when the Messiah comes, it's a lot different than you were expecting. And so you don't recognize it. Uh, and so that's I think that's kind of echoes with some of what we you know, well, God will deal with us. God will speak to us. But if we're not, if we're not open to experiencing the message of the Holy Spirit through the Scripture, God's message to us, God's lessons to us on His terms, then we keep asking things like, "Show us my, show us your, show me your will." When He's like, "I've been showing you my will." <laughs> You just don't want to hear it. <laughs> yes. <laughs> right? Yes. Yes. It's like we've tuned the radio to one channel, and we've said, if God's going to speak to me, he's got to speak to me through this means, and he's got to basically say this. If God's going to show up, it's got to be like this. Here's the yeah. script. <laughs> it is. It's like, here's yeah. the script. How long we what, keep suspense? Tell us. It's like, I, I did. Like, what, what else do I need to do? to do? I just raised a dude from the dead. Didn't you do that? Wasn't that just before? It might be after that. I don't know. But uh, yeah, he's like, I've been telling you, I've been telling you, you don't, you're not open. You're not, you know, you don't have ears to hear. Uh, And I do think there's a sense in which we can be like them. I want God on my terms. And particularly when it's, you know, show me your will, show me what you want to do. Um, And, uh, you know, so I think that's the A, that's a part of a transaction that we can see in other people, but I do think that we do the same sort of things. Um, and then there's a, uh, a, uh, a couple things about this passage that are, that are, you know, uh, unique. One of them is a, you know, basically talking about salvation, about our relationship with God and Christ. Um, and he says, you do not believe because you're not my sheep. I did tell you, but you don't believe. The works I do tell the story, tell the tale. I've been telling you. But because you're not my sheep, you haven't submitted yourself to me to be one of my own, my flock. You're not, you're not hearing it. And so there's this sense of belief in being the part of the sheep of the flock are intertwined. Like there's not necessarily even a linear relationship between 
one or the other and we're dancing around this whole idea of being chosen by God being predestined um, and you know th that those to whom God allows uh, to hear the real message are his sheep and the others harden their heart and then don't hear it and belief and being in God's family being God's child and belief kind of go together and we typically like you enter the family by believing like we do our part mm -hmm. and then oh you know that's the key that opens the door that's the pass that gets us in the club uh, and he's saying something that's a little more complicated than that so you know that's a can of worms you probably uh, you know can't <laughs> you but I do think there's some mis mysterious uh, sense in which uh, somehow it's true that any anyone can be the, you know God's sheep anyone can be in the flock um, and it's true that he chooses and it's true I think that the people who are not can't blame God mm -hmm. um, because their hearts are hard, hardened um, and so there's this grace this element to grace that even comes to faith and belief that is somewhat mysterious, right? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I usually frame it um, in the sense of God um, initiates the call to all um, and it's, it's everyone's responsibility to respond to that call. That's what we know. That's what we can yeah. say that is clear from the scripture and yet there's a mystery of people he he initiates and he always initiates first and if there is any positive response of faith and repentance then we have to say that's that's God's work in me it wasn't mm -hmm. my own doing uh, because I um, by nature uh, don't want to submit to God's rule I don't want to be a part of his flock by nature I want to lead my own and create mm -hmm. my own kingdom. Mm -hmm. So if there is that there, then we have to agree with the mystery of, well, I didn't do that on my own accord. Mm -hmm. um, I was responsible. Yeah. But. yeah, I think it, so it counters the moralistic therapeutic deism narrative, even in salvation, where I didn't get into the family by doing the right thing or even by believing the right thing. Mm -hmm. And God draws me in and opens the door to my belief. And I have, you know, I have, I have to be willing a willing participant but God's you know initiating and there's some mysterious relationship there but here's the thing that I have to take away I can't take credit I mean I get nothing nothing accrues to my credit mm -hmm. by getting in the it's not because I'm clever or better or whatever um, it's because God's grace came to me uh, and he allowed me to accept that gift and so so there's no transactional, I mean, the transaction's all one way. There's no sense in which, okay, now I'm in, so now this is the part where you owe me any stuff, God. Well, that's, I do feel like there's some sense of that in us, that it's hard for us to kind of grasp. I mean, grace is a mystery. It's hard for us to grasp it. And I think that's kind of what I'm, what I'm trying to say. Uh, and it's good to grasp it. It's a, it's a comforting thing in a way. Um, but it's still a mystery that's, you know, I can't look down on anybody else that doesn't believe. I can't, uh, you know, be proud of my belief in some weird way. And I'm prone to do 
both of those things, right? Yeah. Yeah, I'm prone to create a us versus them mentality in which we are morally and spiritually superior and we have something to offer the world and they're only they're only uh, in the position of being in need and mm. it's not that there's not a grain of truth in that we have a, the yeah. message of the good news to offer but uh, it's not from a top down perspective Jesus mm-hmm. said I didn't come to uh, be served but to serve mm. right so right. it's uh, it's a different mentality yeah and you've quoted Paul before you know you know by the grace of God I am what I am Mm-hmm. So, you know, whatever I am, uh, I have agency responsibility. I've got stuff to do. But even all that comes from that is, is by the grace of God. And then there's, you know, he, you know, no one can snatch them out of my hand. No one can snatch them out of my father's hand. You know, there's this this uh, the sense of once we're in, we didn't get ourselves in. We can't get ourselves out. Uh, at least that's my, my, my view that I, you know, I didn't gain it and I can't lose it. Uh, it's all God, uh, and so now I'm kind of in the family, and you know my my uh, my my role is to submit to the transformation of the Holy Spirit under God's hand to become more like Christ to accomplish His mission in the world. And even if there is fruit born in that, then we say with Paul, "I am what I am by the grace of God." It's not, none of that can be, you know, any of my you know cr- transactional credit. Uh, if you will. Yeah, doctrinally um, known as perseverance of the saints or security of the believer. This is a great, great passage for those who struggle with fear, who struggle mm-hmm. with, um, uh, you know, that they that they are not secure in God's hands. And right. that's a real struggle. For, that's a real struggle for people. Some people it's not. Some people Absolutely. that's a real thing. That they are very concerned, uh, often very sensitive consciences, that um, that they can blow it and that God uh, mm-hmm. will, you know, kick them out of the family, so to speak. So this is a great verse uh, yeah. to memorize, to to go back to. You're in. What does he say? My Father has given them to me, and is greater. No one can snatch them out of my Father's hand. I'm the Father one. So you're in Christ's hands. You're in the Father's hand. Um, there is a security in knowing mm-hmm. that God has committed to you. And it's not about the strength of our love for God. It's not about the strength of our faith towards God because if we're being really honest, it's usually self-serving and it's usually pretty fragile. It's about the trust in God's faithfulness to us. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, he does it partly for in love for us. Partly he does it for the sake of his own name. He's made this promise. Uh, he's going to, despite us sometimes, uh, or usually make it come true. Um, and then uh, there's another, in, in, you know, I think important doctrinal point to make as, uh, before we kind of get back to the, to the main flow is it's pretty clear Jesus is not only claiming to be God uh, here, because sometimes people, Jesus never really claimed to be God. Well, that's what everyone there in that culture, in that time, in that language, you know, the religiously informed theologically informed people of his day that's what they thought he was saying yeah. and they were mistaken they, make, they were not mistaken and then he's like hey what do you you know I, he, he kind of drives the point home by saying i've done many good works for which of those are you stoning me mm-hmm. um and 
you know, we're stoning you because you're a man claiming to be God. And this, you don't get, Jesus doesn't go, hey, whoa, 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 fellas, fellas, mm-hmm. fellas, <laughs> uh, you're mistaken. You know, he owns it, he wears it. And they go to, you know, he doubles down on it. And, you know, uh, so that, you know, uh, if I do the work, you know, deal with the reality that you see before you, uh, you know, if, if you don't want to believe me, believe the works, you know, I'm not blaspheming when I'm saying I'm God's son. Um, you know, and, and again, they try to seize him and he just sort of slips away. So there's a very clear claim of deity where Jesus is saying, I am the son of God here so much so that they, they want to stone him. Um, you know, and I do think that's, you know, those who say, well, he never said he is God. Well, you know, that's, I think, um, you, you have to disregard many passages like this where, yes, the word I am God doesn't come out of his mouth. Uh, but, you know, these are uh, passages in which he's really claiming to do that. Um, so I don't yeah, know if you have any thoughts say, on that before we move on. Yeah, for those who want to take a deeper dive into that conversation, um, there's a there's a really good book, Blasphemy and Exaltation in Judaism, uh, The Charge Against Jesus in, uh, by Daryl Bach. Like, how did they understand? Why would they accuse him, his hearers and his opponents accuse him of blasphemy? They seem to understand exactly what he was saying. It's a different passage than this. Uh, it's quite mm-hmm. a fascinating passage because uh, in Mark 14, Jesus weaves together uh, a prophecy from Daniel about Son of Man coming on the clouds and I think something right. from the Psalms, and they also there accuse him of blasphemy. Um, so that, that's a definitely a deeper dive, uh, pretty theological from a good, a good scholar, Daryl Bach. But mm-hmm. yeah, it's on that note. Yeah, so, um, and then we kind of get back to, you know, maybe the main point is, um, okay, you don't really want to believe I am the Messiah, it appears, he's saying to them. You don't really want to deal with me uh, on those terms. So either sort of reject the works that I've done, or the other possibility is they do testify, and you're going to have to deal with that reality, one of the two. So it's like stone me or worship me. Mm. Those are your options. It's sort of all or nothing, right? And moralistic therapeutic deism, you know, God on my terms, nobody gets that in actual fact. Like stone him, be an opponent or be a worshiper and be, you know, submit on his terms. That's kind of what Jesus is saying to them and to everyone. Uh, Right. Yeah. 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 What's the beginning of Bonhoeffer's book called Discipleship? When Jesus calls a person, he bids them come and die. And that's the dividing line for the call to Jesus, which I think you titled the beginning of this, or the the message this week is All or Nothing. Yeah, that's, that's, my, title. Yeah, that's my title for this. Oh, yeah. your title. Yeah, yeah, and I think that's true. It's, um, it's, I don't know if we set before ourselves... You know, we would use different terminology, but uh, stone, you know, kill God or love God. Mm-hmm. Be completely done with him and make your choice or 
submit submit you know yeah. be 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 um you know set yourself in alignment with him set yourself under his authority so to speak right. so yeah i don't know if we say that to ourselves i don't know if we set that uh out for people to have to choose um i think it becomes kind of like a uh and this is not necessarily a knock against um hinduism some of the eastern religions um i i, I don't think they tell the full story and i think there's parts of them that have good things to offer but again i don't think they tell the full story of christ and uh, what he's about because jesus is a good person and a good teacher but he can become one of many gods on your shelf and something to add to your to your life to maybe make it a little bit better or to get a little more security and i feel like we're not in that culture but we do the same thing um, jesus is a good person god to have around for a little more security mm. uh, have i covered all my bases mm-hmm. yeah yeah and the outcome of of my following jesus is some sort of self-improvement some sort of betterment some sort of uh yeah some sort of thing that accrues to me from for you know i'll be a, a different person in a way in which i uh determine in, in a sense uh instead of the kind of person God wants to make me is probably not the kind of person I would even conceive on my own. Hmm. Like I have to be, I have to die, you know, and be remade. As you know, as you said, as you quoted Bonhoeffer, he bids us to come and die and he bids us to have the life that he's offering to us, you know, the life in the full and that both of those things go together. Like I can't have the life in the full without, you know, die, dying, denying myself, pick, taking up my cross. Yeah. Uh, and following um, and you know I, I think that we can t- uh, tell ourselves a lie that there's certain benefits from being a Christian that accrue to us without you know without us getting too crazy with our commitment uh, <laughs> you know, so yeah. it's like I carried away here right uh, you know I go to church you know I, you know I do stuff for the church sometimes I give sometimes money and such and and that's very much a gets to the transactional sort of thing um and so i kind of want to like last kind of point here that at least that interests me in this uh, this brief treatment of this this passage is has to do with persecution where um you know they're persecuting jesus for being who he is right by claiming to be god uh by for being god yeah, and for claiming it uh and i do think the sense of persecution doesn't fit at all in the moralistic therapeutic deism it's sort of a contradiction of it uh and yet what we would call persecution is often you know we would define it in moralistic therapeutic deistic terms which is i didn't get what i want i didn't get the promotion uh you know they they laughed at me whatever you know whatever like the transaction going bad is you know sometimes we can say that's persecution mm-hmm. uh and that's that's not persecution is something quite different from that i think and something that we are to bear and expect uh and not try to you know necessarily back away from uh and i think that's sort of a side point for this passage but i think it's a point at which 
I mean, Jesus knows they're going to react negatively, and it changes nothing about his stance in this posture. Mm-hmm. Uh, he's not surprised. Um, and I do think that we can set up a construct where we call bad stuff that we don't like persecution, and then therefore either take credit for being under persecution or be angry with God because, hey, persecution, bad. Um, yeah, I don't know, I thoughts on to- that. No, I tend to put those in maybe three, the conversation persecution on three different categories. There's what you were talking about. There's just normal ebb and flow of life, life success, life failure, life, you know, I didn't get the job. My daughter didn't make the team. Okay, well, if it's not, you know, if she didn't make the team because they knew we were Christians and they don't want Christians on the team. Okay, well, that might be a form of persecution. But if she didn't make the team because she's not any good then that's just that's just life and then there's then there's suffering (laughs) then then there's suffering which everybody goes through um um, and then that's any type of you know pain loss grief abuse uh, injustice suffering um and then to me there's persecution and persecution is pain or suffering because you've chosen to follow jesus you didn't get the promotion because you've been identified as a Christian. Um, mm-hmm. You know, you lost your job because you've been identified mm-hmm. as a Christian. Right. Um, right. That's that's persecution. You got mocked because you said something about God. Like that's that's in the lines of persecution. But typically, when I think of how the Bible defines persecution, it's because you've aligned yourself with Jesus, and then something there's some type of backlash um, mm-hmm. towards you. Um, and I think often. We can we conflate those categories uh, because I'm a believer and this is supposed to work out for me, and then it doesn't, and then I tend to think, well, this must be persecution. Right. Yeah. That's that's the more that's basically whenever we do some flavor of that, that's sort of the moralistic therapeutic deism flavor of hey, I'm supposed to get good things out of this deal, bad things. I'm supposed to get good things. This is a bad thing. Something's wrong. Uh, instead of counting it all joy and accepting. And, uh, you know, looking, knowing that I'm living in the world where as I follow Jesus more and more, there's probably going to be some backlash. And certainly we all over the world today, we see severe backlash uh, among people in in ways that we can't even necessarily imagine. Um, uh, But that's not, you know, that's not God going back on the deal. Obviously, Jesus is being persecuted. The disciples were persecuted Um, in actual fact, not just. Not just my plans were thwarted and I'm not going to have as much money to retire on because I didn't get the promotion. That's not probably, you know, that's not what the Bible's talking about typically or if it's very low level. Um, uh, So kind of in, you know, to kind of land the plane here, this idea of it does seem to be a a two-step that we have trouble with as followers, where God is our Father, He comforts us. You know, we are the sheep of the flock, and yet He's this awesome, powerful, uh, you know, King uh, before whom we also can shudder. And I kind of feel like we have trouble putting those two pictures t- together, understandably. But I certainly think we default towards the first and kind of forget the second. And Jesus here is kind of saying, if I'm doing these things, I'm the authority of the Father, 
you're going to have to deal with that reality. That's a real thing, mm-hmm. and that's going to have to shake up your world to some degree. Uh, and I think maybe our world maybe could be used to be shaken up a little bit along those same lines. What are your thoughts on yeah. that? Yeah. Yeah, I think even bringing it back to pandemic, um, obviously no one would choose this and wish this upon anybody, and there's a lot of lives being lost, so we got to be sensitive to that for sure. And um, But one of the maybe what this may be unveiling is that our ordered life um, perhaps needs to be disordered so that it can be reordered um, yeah. and we, we 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 probably needed in the West for sure to be more confronted with our mortality and more confronted with our uh, fragility because those are true those are true anyways we just get so insulated from it and um, moralistic therapeutic deism probably doesn't work in developing countries probably doesn't work very well no right <laughs> uh, in affluent right. affluent places in the world um, yeah so yeah I, I do think there is um, and I'm not saying God caused it or anything like that I'm, I'm not going there to the source yeah. I'm just saying what's ha- what could be a handle for us to respond well to is the disordering so that we may be invited to reorder in such a way that aligns our our life with God more. Yeah, I totally agree. I mean, the we live in a fallen world. You know, the mystery of how the different pieces of the fallen world go together is a mystery. Uh, but if we are living according to our order, our rules, then this world will continue to work uh, to disorder them. And part of that is God's grace to us in various ways. Um, where you're just, we're not going to get happily ever after here, and we shouldn't. Uh, we shouldn't expect it. Uh, we will get happily ever after as Christ's uh, children uh, in the next age. Uh, now we would get glimpses of joy, glimpse, you know, we get a sense of hope, we get comfort in the moment, but it's not, it's not that. And the more we sometimes think it can be, we need that to be disordered. Uh, and this fallen world will disorder it, uh, however we explain the various aspects of it. And so um, I do think we can take comfort in, because that's ultimately for our good. Uh, so that's kind of, maybe I'll leave it there where, you know, let's think about ways in which our order can be disordered or should be disordered so that God can, can reorient us uh, to him and uh, to his plan uh, and to... You know, being the reality of being children in his his his, his family, sheep and his flock. Uh, so with that, uh, we're, we'll leave it there. God's grace and peace to all of you. Have a great week. Thanks for listening to Rogue Table Talks, a Calvary Church Media Productions podcast. Be sure to subscribe and leave a review wherever you listen to podcasts.